I wonder how many of you, raise your hand if you were coming to go to the early service and you realized that you were just 30 minutes late, early for the early late service. I, uh, no matter what, it seems like this time of year I'm, I'm more tired even though I went to bed at 9.30 last night. And uh, I still don't realize that I was running late because there's something in my head that's watching the color of the sky and thinking that's when I need to head out. But uh, glad that you're here this morning, spring break, spring forward. We've got a lot going on, and yet you're still here. So I'm proud of you and thankful. Uh, in, in preparation for our message today, I have a really strange introductory question. And if you know the answer to this question, I'm really concerned about you. What do Warren Buffett and Charles Manson have in common? What do Warren Buffett and Charles Manson have in common? They both credit Dale, Carnegie, Dale Carnegie's course, How to Win Friends and Influence People, for their success. And I'm not joking. How twisted is that? So... One article said that uh, Warren Buffett has on his wall today a framed picture of his certification of completion of that course, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which later someone took that transcript of that course and turned it into a book, and it is considered one of the most influential books ever written in the history of humanity. So much so that Charles Manson also took the course or read the book and said that that is how he learned how to create a cult of influence in all seriousness. He influenced, he used his techniques to influence people to do the, the atrocious uh, things that they did while he was in prison. They did it for him. So it's a strange concept. And when I always have heard of that title, How to Win Friends and Influence People, I don't know about you, but I immediately have negative connotations. I'm like, that sounds manipulative. It sounds wrong. And that's kind of where I get with the parable that we have today. Jesus tells a parable, and really, the, in a similar sense, the point is how to win friends and influence people for Christ, for the kingdom. So influence is not bad in and of itself. It's the goal of it that corrupts it or makes it wonderful. I don't know Warren Buffett's spiritual condition, but he certainly seems to have used the tools for much better good than Manson used the tools for. And today we're going to see this idea of shrewdness being commended, but it's someone who does it with bad intentions, but we're going to see that it's actually commended for Jesus to, he tells his disciples, this is a good thing and you should do it as well. So we're going to look at this very interesting and challenging parable that Jesus tells. Uh, we've been studying the Gospel of Luke and we've talked about we're in this big huge section where it said Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Whenever I say that, it's over here for some reason. Jerusalem is always over there. So the, the pews are sitting in Jerusalem. So they, he sets his face towards Jerusalem and it's a journey of suffering, it's a journey of pain, and when he arrives in Jerusalem, he's crucified. And along this journey, his followers were all with him, traveling on this journey to Jerusalem to give our lives like Christ, if we're followers of Christ, 
He's been teaching us along the way, this is what it means to follow me. This is what it means to live in my kingdom. These are lessons I want you to learn. And more recently, he began to teach around the dinner table, if you'll remember, a couple of weeks ago. He was at the banquet table with some friends, and he used that to tell several banquet parables. And the main point that we took from that was he said, if you are privileged and sitting in the seat of status, use your privilege For the underprivileged, don't act like the world with your privilege. Whatever status and power and prestige that you have and whatever influence you have, Jesus says, in my kingdom, you don't use that to step on other people's heads to get yourself exalted or elevated to the front table. Instead, you do the exact opposite. You humble yourself and you use whatever privilege and power you have to bless the underprivileged, the marginalized, the poor, and the oppressed. He says, that's what it looks like in the lives of my people. And then the next week, Kevin did a great job of him showing how the heart of God is one that we would repent of ungodly behavior, that Jesus is, is the shepherd who goes after the one who is in rebellion, and he loves to see his wayward child repent, and now he comes back and hits us again with the similar topic, only now it's more particularly with wealth. But in the context, we're seeing that Jesus is saying, my children use their wealth and power and influence and prestige to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Lord, teach us this morning. Release us from the grip of wealth and privilege and power and influence. It it captures our heart so subtly. So we need your spirit to work in our hearts and release us this morning. Help us to obey you because you have given your life that we may have life, release us to give our lives that others may have life in you. It's in Christ and we pray, amen. All right, so in these verses, we're at Luke chapter 16, and we're going to look at the 1 through 13. And in these verses, Jesus tells another parable. And I'm going to break the parable down in three sections. First, we're going to look at the charge. He's going to, in the character, the character in the parable is charged with certain behavior, the charge, and then we're going to look at his response, and then finally we're going to pull out the principle, the charge, the response, the principle. Let's begin with the charge. I find this in verses 1 and 2. Luke 16, 1 and 2 says this. Luke says, he also said this to the disciples, and then Jesus tells a parable. There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that his man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Stop there. So we have a rich man who has a wealth manager. And the wealth manager, word gets out that the wealth manager is wasting the man's possessions. Another translation says he was squandering his possessions. So here is the charge. The charge is squandering. What does that mean? He is squandering the possessions. To squander, it means that he was wasting it. He was not using it according to the uh, commission or the will of the rich man. The rich man had shown and bestowed great status and great 
uh, prominence to this man and great trust for this man to say, here, I'm going to entrust you with the great honor and privilege. I think I trust you enough that I'm going to entrust you with my resources and I want you to manage them faithfully. Instead, he squanders them. You know, I'm no expert on the Lord of the Rings, I promise you that. I don't think I've actually finished one of those movies, not to mention having started one of the books. It's way too intimidating. But I do know from what I've seen is that they're all in pursuit of this ring. And the ring, and if you're an expert, forgive me if I get it wrong, but the ring is, they're seeking after it because it is a powerful ring. It overcomes all the other powers of the other rings. And so whoever holds the ring has great power, and they're trying to get the ring in good hands and out of the bad hands because that kind of power is, is very powerful. It, it needs to be in good hands. But the problem is it becomes very precious to those who have it. And those who have it keep finding themselves falling under the spell of the ring and using it and corrupting it and using it for ill. That's what wealth and power and influence is like in our lives. It's constantly seeking to win us over and to control us and to own us and to put us in its service. And so this man who was given this great responsibility and great trust was given, he fell under the spell and started to squander it and use it for his own self and started to waste the man's, the owner's possessions. And what we see in the parable that there is a day of accountability for those who are entrusted with wealth, privilege, power, influence. The owner calls him to account. And he says to him, you've squandered what I've entrusted to you. You're out, banished, you're fired. So we've seen the charge, squandering. Now let's see how the manager responds. Look at verse 3. The manager said to himself, hmm, what should I do? My master is taking my management away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig, amen? If you ever tried digging, you will quickly say, amen, that is hard. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, verse 4. So that when I'm removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first one, Hey, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said, all right, well, take your bill quickly, write it, 50. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said, all right, well, hurry, write down 80. Now remember me, I just took care of you. So we see what's going on here. We see the response. The response was shrewdness. The charge was squandering. The response is shrewdness. And I get that word from verse 8 in a minute. We'll see that's what it's called, shrewdness. What exactly is shrewdness? To be shrewd means to be smart or clever in a practical way. Is there anything wrong with being smart or clever in a practical way? No. But it has a negative connotation in my head because it sounds like exactly what we see here. Shrewdness seems like 
being, being smart and clever in an in a illegal gain or, or to do something wrong. But shrewdness in and of itself is not wrong. It just means being smart and clever in a practical way. And so the manager had little time, and listen to the wording on how I describe this, because I think this captures the, the meaning of the parable. So this manager who was entrusted with power, prestige, and influence over the owner's possessions realizes, okay, my time is short. He considers the future as he manages this possessions as he wields the influence that he has because in the in the wealth management world by the way this is why they don't allow you to hang out when you're fired they lock the file cabinet and take you and walk you out because otherwise you might do this this guy is saying oh they're leaving me in the office with all the files I'm going to start calling them and use it to set myself up for the future and so the manager is being shrewd with whatever influence he has left for this short amount of time, but he's doing so with an eye to the future. Now, why did he do this? It says he did this in verse 9, to make friends for himself. He obviously took Carnegie's course, how to win friends and influence people. To receive, so that they would receive him into their houses. So this manager, who knows his time is limited, has an eye to the future. And he says, I have a short time to wield influence over, this, over, this, over these possessions. And I'm going to do it in a way that considers the future. And so what does he do? He grants forgiveness. He extends grace. And so the, the manager for a short time is using his given influence that has been entrusted in him to extend grace and forgiveness to others because he is considering the future. Now how do we see the master respond? Now notice the perspective in the story. You've got Jesus telling the parable, but then you've got in the parable these characters, the rich owner, the manager, and now the rich owner, the master, comes. And it says in verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. That just kind of messes with you, doesn't it? Like, wait, what? But think about it. The master is coming up and he is going, wait, you did what? You used all the... And what he's basically saying is, man, I got to admit it, you're a crook, but you're pretty sharp. You're pretty shrewd. I wish you had been that shrewd for my benefit. Bingo. There's the point. I wish you had the owner who owns it all put entrusted to the manager these possessions who only has this short time. The master comes to himself, I wish that you had been that shrewd for my benefit. And that's the point of the parable. Jesus doesn't commend him. The master in the story commends his shrewdness. But the description of the manager is dishonest manager. So don't lose sight. He's not saying a go be shrewd means go do unethical things. That's not what he is saying. He's saying that though this guy was a crook and dishonest and was fired appropriately on grounds of squandering the man's money, he's saying, I, I at least appreciate your shrewdness. I just wish you had done it for my benefit instead of these 
on ethical benefits. And then Jesus, in the next part of the verse, explains, so you had the master who said he commended him. Now Jesus explains, sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of the light. Sons of the world, sons of the light. You're going to start seeing this division that Jesus creates in his explanation. You've got these two realities. You've got this, this world, which is this reality, and the people in this world that aren't believers are the sons of the world. And you've got believers who are the sons of the light. And these sons of the light, these believers, still live in this world that is filled with unrighteous gain and unrighteous ways and unethical situations. And so we live, we see this, this blending of these two worlds. He says the sons of this world are sometimes more shrewd than sons of light. And then in verse 9 he continues, he says, And I tell you, you sons of light, disciples, make friends for yourselves by means of the world's wealth, or what he calls unrighteous wealth. You sons of the light, believers, followers of Jesus, use whatever worldly wealth that I've entrusted to you, to, to, I've entrusted to you, use it to make friends. So that when it fails, when this world ends and comes to an end, they may receive you in the eternal dwellings. Very, very challenging verse to interpret. But here's what I think we need to understand. He's saying this is a parable. It's like an analogy. Sometimes you're trying to explain something with an analogy, and you get way halfway through it, and you're like, well, and I, that, that analogy breaks down right there. This is a parable. Don't take it too literal. But you can see the point when you just take a step back and read it. And in a, in a, one main idea is that the children of God, disciples, should be like this manager and be shrewd, use whatever influence, whatever status, whatever wealth, whatever giftedness you have, whatever God has entrusted to you, recognize you are here for a short period of time and use it for his good. Make friends to advance the gospel. Win friends and influence people for Christ with whatever God has entrusted to you. That's the point. So the charge is squandering. The response was shrewdness. And then this leads us to our principle, the principle of stewardship. In verse 10 through 13, we see this principle of stewardship fleshed out. In verse 10, he goes on to say, one who is faithful, listen to these words very carefully, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest with very little is dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth or the wealth of this world, who will entrust you to the true riches? The kingdom of God, the riches of God, the kingdom, the, all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places. Verse 12, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, it's not even yours, who's going to give you that which is your own? Stop there. So let's notice, first of all, the word entrust. In other words, we're, we're the manager, we're not the rich owner. It is entrusted to us. That means that we don't own it. And that's key. That's the idea of stewardship. A steward is a manager of someone else's 
possessions. We are stewards. When we look at the parable, we're the manager. I think our tendency is to read it and think we're the rich owners. We're the managers. And the manager's been entrusted with this status, with this influence, with this wealth of the owner, the master. And he has said, steward this, manage it according to the owner's purposes and will. And notice that Jesus is contrasting this life with the next life. Jesus is contrasting this life, which is temporary, with the next life, which is eternal. This life in which you are a manager and that life which you will become an owner. And he says how you live in this life with that little bit that he gives you to manage is going to have tremendous, it's going to be very telling about the eternal life, whether you will be entrusted and giving ownership of it. And so when I read this, I started thinking about, has anyone ever had a job where they said, you're hired, but there's a six-month trial period? I've seen those before, and I'm glad I've never had one of those. That would be terrible. I probably wouldn't make it past month three. Slow learner here. So to, to have this trial period, like you're going to be hired, but after six months, we're going to reevaluate whether you get to stay or not. That's what this is, y'all. This life we think is, oh, we got this long life, and I got all these things that I own, and I'm going to make as much as I can. I'm going to can as much as I get, and then I'm going to kick back at some age in the future and be selfish. And God is saying, first of all, you're only here for a little while. And this little while is like a six-month trial period. And I'm not giving this to you. You don't own anything. You manage it. And I'm watching how you manage it. Every bit of influence you have, every bit of money you have, your gifts, your wealth, power, influence, status, prestige, all of it. And I'm watching what you do with it. And there are eternal implications. Now, what I'm not saying is that you earn your way to heaven with what you do, but what I am, you don't earn your salvation with your performance, but your performance reveals your salvation. And so what he is saying is, I've only entrusted this to you for a season to manage it according to God's will. And the faithful will not just manage it in the eternal situation. They will own it in the kingdom. All the riches of the heavenly places, this earth, are yours in Christ. The faithful who are faithful stewards with little will be given ownership of everything. So which of you really thinks that if you are a fraud, a phony, and you squander what he entrusts to you in this life? He says there's a six-month trial period. I'm going to give you this just to manage it for a while. We're going to see how you do. And if you do well, you're going to get everything. But instead, you manage it and you squander it for yourself. Do you really think he's going to say, here, all the riches of the heavenly places are yours? It doesn't make sense. Nobody would do that. And that's the point here is don't think that you can be unfaithful now and you're going to be okay in the end. How we manage his resources, his, the influence, the wealth, the privilege, the status 
now reveals the future, whether it will be received eternally or not. So the point is this, be faithful now. The heart of the principle is found in 13 and 14. No servant can serve two masters. Because here's, that, that, here's why that's true. Here's why what you do now is revealing about eternity. Because it reveals your heart. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. It's that simple, he says. If you're clinging to God, you can't be clinging to money. If you're embracing with all your hearts and affections, you're treasuring God, you can't also be bracing with all your hearts and affection money, wealth, power, prestige, possession, fill in the blank. That's what he's been doing in this section of Scripture. So this is the principle of stewardship. You don't own it. I don't own it. And you say, well, I don't, that's not a big deal to me. I don't have a lot. Oh, come on. Every single person here has influence over somebody. Influence over your children. Influence over your friends. Influence over anybody who looks, looks up to you. You have influence. Everyone influences people. And you say, oh, I don't have a whole lot of money. Well, you got more money than most people in the world if you live here. We all have a certain level of money, power, prestige, status, and influence, and giftedness. It's every sense of the word of your resources. And every sense of the word, you have been entrusted by the master who owns it all and says, use this, steward this for this little time that you have on this earth Use it to win friends and influence people for Christ. And there's a day of accounting coming. And if you were a fraud to squander all that I entrusted to you, then don't be surprised if you're fired when you meet them. So here's the question we should ask ourselves. Am I serving God with wealth? Or am I serving the God of wealth? Are you serving God with your wealth? Or are you serving the God of wealth? We serve what we worship. We bow down in service to the things that we treasure. To the things that capture our heart. The gospel of Jesus Christ that God emptied himself of his riches and glory to serve us. To give his life that we who are sinners who deserve death can have life by his blood, by his, his death on the cross. He gives us forgiveness. He grants us eternal life. He gives us an inheritance of all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places. This world, the new heavens and the new earth will be ours in Christ. Every single bit of God's creation has been given to you if you're a child of God in Christ. And that should just blow our minds that we treasure Christ supremely. So that we serve Christ with our wealth. That we serve God with our influence. That we serve him with our giftedness. That we serve him with all that we have been entrusted with. With this little time that we have on this earth. So that when you get to my age and your kids are out of the house and all of a sudden you find time 
And it's wonderful. I, if you're not there, I encourage you, hang in there. It's coming. It's good. But then, oh, that ring, that shiny little ring wants to capture my heart. Be selfish. Have you seen the movies? Is it precious? Just kick back. Serve yourself. You deserve it. You've earned it. Here's the question we should be asking when we get at different stages of life all throughout. What is the most strategic use of my gifts and resources for the advancement of the kingdom of God? Oh, it's a terrible question. It's not fun to ask that question. It causes a lots of problems in life. It'll mess up your retirement plans. What is the most strategic use of my gifts in this stage of life? If you're a mama and daddy, yes, it's pouring into those kids. Don't feel bad. That's what your primary calling is in that stage of life. And when you're working, though, if you're an employer, you use all that influence to advance the kingdom. In your employees' lives, in your customers, in your clients, in your patients, and your students, you use whatever influence you have to advance the kingdom of God in their life. That question is such a tough question. The first question, am I serving God? Am I worshiping God with wealth or am I serving the God of wealth? It's not an easy question to answer. I answer it differently depending on the same day, different time of day, Right? I get it right, a moment later I'm coveting, or I get it right, a moment later I'm struggling. So don't get me wrong, I don't think you should leave here and say, all right, settled that question. No, no, it's an ongoing question. It's always trying to get your heart. So here's what I want to do to help you wrestle with that question, help you continue to leave here with, with wrestling with that question. I want to go back through the parable and pull out a couple of diagnostic questions to live with, to wrestle with, to say, okay, these are the questions I need to be asking constantly. Go back to verse 2 and answer, ask yourself, do you see yourself as the owner or the manager? When you read the parable, you see there's a rich owner and then there's a manager. So diagnostic question number one, as we battle the, the heart, and the desire to fall in love with wealth and power and possession and influence is, do I think I'm the owner or the manager? Faithful stewards know they are only managers of all of God's wealth. It's God's money, God's possessions, God's giftedness, God's skills that he's entrusted to you for a short time. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and those who dwell therein, it's all his. In Deuteronomy 8, 9, and 10, I was reading that this morning as a part of my chronological study, and it just fell perfectly in line with this. Deuteronomy 10, Moses is preparing Israel before they head into the promised land, and he says, y'all are about to be rich people. He says, y'all about to get all this land, and when you build these massive houses, and you dig these deep wells, and, and you are living the dream, remember the Lord, because it will capture your heart. 
and remember the widows, the orphans, and the sojourners or the foreigners who are the marginalized, the oppressed, the poor, and the outcast. It's the same thing Jesus has been saying. With all that you've been entrusted with, are you managing it? Are you squandering it on yourself? Or are you stewarding it truly for the kingdom? So verse 2 causes you to say, okay, am I thinking I'm a manager or an owner? Faithful stewards know that they are managers. It's like the difference between owning a car and renting a car, right? When you own a car, you can drive it where you want, when you want, do whatever you want in it. It's your car. When you rent a car, there's a very complicated contract. Says you cannot drive more than this many miles. You cannot go here. You cannot go there. You can't smoke in it. You can't do this in it. If you let anything happen to it, you're going to pay for it. And when you bring it back, make sure it's full of gas. And there's not a gas station in sight. And we're going to charge you twice that much for that gas. When you own it, you do what you want with it. When you're just managing it, you're just renting it, you do what the owner wants with it. Faithful stewards know they'll give an account for how they've managed God's wealth. That's the second question. Am I living knowing I will give an account? And then if you read through verses 4 through 7, I think the other question comes to mind. What is the most strategic use of my gifts and resources for the advancement of the kingdom? In this season of life, what's the most strategic use of my gifts for the kingdom? We've got to continually ask these questions of ourselves. And we may be surprised at the answers that we get. But that's the, that's the battle. If you leave here going, I'm pretty good, I'm all right, I would say, well, you may not be in about five minutes, so we need to be asking these questions. This is the battle of the heart. Wealth, money, power, influence is constantly trying to capture us and say, squander it for yourself. And the point of the parable is this. No, use it to win friends and influence people for Christ. Father, we ask for your help. What a terribly convicting passage. What a terribly convicting section of scripture that keeps pounding us about our willingness to use all that you've entrusted to us for the advancement of your kingdom. Lord, would you give us faithful hearts? Would you help us not to squander what you've entrusted to us? Lord, would you remind us of the gospel daily 24-7, all throughout the day, that we would treasure Christ supremely so that we would release the gods of this world and embrace only Jesus Christ and that we would serve God with our wealth and influence and gifts rather than serving wealth, influence, and gifts as our God. Help us to be found faithful. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'd like to take some liberties and ask something very specific of you.